Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, Into Miyazaki's World. My name is Betty. And I'm Avery. Yes. So before we getting started, how was your spring break? My spring break was good, but it was definitely not long enough. How was your spring break? It was okay. Uh, just staying here and doing work, and I got started on this movie just right after the break. So yeah, yeah, that's nice. I watched it too over the break. I watched it with my boyfriend, and we we thought we thought it was interesting. It's a lot more action packed than some of the other Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too, and I was very interested. Like more than excited because it was Chipley's first sci-fi movie among other like Sly of Life movies. So yeah. I think it's very interesting to talk about that today. So yeah, uh, before we moving to the main topic today, I just going to give you like um, oh the title of the movie. <laughs> We're talking about uh, La Puta Castle in the Sky and. Um, I'm going to give Avery the spotlight to talk about the summary of the movie, but here's the spoiler alert that we're going to discuss and analyze a lot of like details from the movie, so it's hard to avoid spoiling. So if you want to watch the movie, we recommend you to just pause in there and watch the movie and come back to us later. Or if you don't mind at all, we can just jump right into it now. Yeah, so. absolutely. So this 1986 fantasy adventure film uh, follows the young orphans, Shita and Pazu, as they evade Shita's kidnappers and attempt to uncover the truth about the mysterious floating city of Laputa. Along the way, they form unlikely alliances as they race to the castle of Laputa, where a crystal of mass destruction, or it has the potential for that, uh, must be saved from falling into the wrong hands. Yeah. That's a cool summary. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little dramatic, but I mean, it it is kind of a dram. There's high stakes in the film. Yeah. So, so before getting started, like, how do you like the movie? Like, how much do you like it? I, I when we were first watching it, I was really enjoying it. Um, but looking back over my notes and kind of organizing my thoughts, I realized that maybe it didn't have as much of an impact on me as when I was watching it and enjoying it. Maybe just because, like you said, like the other films we've seen is a lot more slice of life and there's a lot of action in here. There's a lot of like details. And so when I was going back over my notes, there was some stuff that I didn't even remember <laughs> that I had written down. And so I don't know if that is kind of like negative of the movie. Maybe there's too much going on or something about it just didn't quite hold my attention because later on I was having trouble remembering it. Whereas may, may, it could have also just been because it was my first time watching it. But what about you? I think that's fair because that what happened to me when I first watched it. And this is my second time, and I think I like it more after we watch it. Maybe because now I'm interested in AI, and now it's related to some robots in the movie, so that's why I focus more. But yeah, yeah I think that's fair when you feel that at the first time you watch this movie. Maybe in my opinion, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like if I watched it a second time, I would have more to say. But I will say, a film like Porco Rosso was also my first time watching it. And that one kept me pretty captivated. Um, to be fair, though, Castle in the Sky is a lot longer than Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso was maybe an hour, <laughs> maybe an hour. Castle in the Sky was nearly two hours, I think. Yeah, it's a very long movie. Yeah. So. And I, I don't know, compared to Howl's Moving Castle, which the only reason I'm comparing it to that is because lengthwise, they're 
more on bar with each other. They're both about two hours. Uh, I just took more away and remembered more from House Moving Castle versus this one. Um, and I guess we'll discuss why exactly that is and, you know, what you liked about it as well. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a very good comparison because um, I wonder it too now when you brought that up. But I do enjoy House Moving Castle more. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe because it's focused more on the romance side, and I'm a girl, so I like that more. <laughs> but yeah, for this one, I just find it interesting because of the modernization yeah. in the movie. So this one gave me kind of a feel of a, a few different movies that I could think of. So uh, of course, I will I will preface that this one probably came before everything I'm just going to talk about. So I'm not saying that. Uh, this movie ripped off the films I'm about to mention, but just that I see similar elements. Um, so, like, have you seen uh, Disney, and this is, like, an older Disney movie, um, Atlantis? Have you seen that? <laughs> it's so familiar, but I cannot recall. So, uh, Disney came out with a... I'm actually curious. I'll look up when it came out. But Disney came out with a movie. Um, it was, like, The Secret World of Atlantis or something. And it... It just gives me very similar vibes. I think Atlantis came out after, um, but it follows this boy or man, young man <laughs> named Michael Thatch and his, uh, he basically wants to go um, uncover Atlantis, the lost empire. And so um, along the way, he uh, he's going with this team of people that aren't in it for the right reasons, because for the main character, he's all about the knowledge, the quest for knowledge. Um, he wants to know about this ancient civilization uh, whereas the other people, they're there for more material reasons. They want to conquer it and extract its resources. And that's exactly what we see in this film. So now that I looked it up, Atlantis, The Lost Empire came out in 2001. And so um, either way, it's just I, I like it when I can draw comparisons between films like that. So it was kind of cool to see it here and also think about like which one did I feel handle the themes better. I will say in Castle in the Sky, we have more of an emphasis on the environment and nature, which we know is a Miyazaki special. So I would have to say I prefer Castle in the Sky, but we do get like a lot of similarities in this theme of greed and not respecting like um, ancient or whatever customs and uh just kind of prioritizing the wrong things i would say and also there's something about this film that is a little more um kind of like princess mononoke a little more adult maybe because of the violence but yeah yeah no i agree with you i feel like this movie focused a lot on building the villain characters rather than other neutral character we discussed before because for me this one i feel like it's the first time Miyazaki just make a true villain in his movie. Absolutely. Because for other villains, I still feel like I can empath- like, empathize yeah, yeah. Yeah, with them. But for yeah. this one, I, <laughs> I really hate that guy. <laughs> so yeah. maybe we can jump right in. I know we usually start with world building, but I feel like the main part of the world building is when we get to the castle in the floating city, which is later in the movie. So maybe we could start by talking about the more villainous themes, which is, um, I'm not sure how you categorized it, but it's kind of the violence or the human desire, I think is what you called it. So what what did you think about the villains being a little more one-dimensional? Did you think that was a good thing or do you wish that they were more you know, just developed, like Lady Eboshi from Princess Mononoke, for example. Yeah, I think for this one, Miyazaki just make it like 
completely two things that very different from each other because in Princess Mononoke, Lady Ebushi still have the reason to do that to the forest. Yeah. But for this one, it's just for Muska, um personal desire to dominate the world. So it's yeah. not something very reasonable to like use the power to do that to everybody. Yeah. So I don't feel like It's the right thing. Like, it's completely wrong to me. So, yeah. To me, it, yeah, I agree. I think the villains here aren't as compelling. And I think it makes the story for me not as me memorable, which is maybe why I was having trouble recalling some stuff. Because Princess Mononoke, which I think might be one of my favorites so far, the thing about Lady Yoboshi is that while she's making these decisions that we might agree, uh, disagree with and we're kind of like, where are her morals? What is she doing? At the same time, we see this other side of her where she is a woman in a time period where gender very much does have constraints and matters yet she's taken the initiative to have a leadership role and create this haven for kind of like outcasts like the lepers and these women that don't fit like social roles at the time so she kind of has like these good redeeming qualities M muska is that what muska? Yeah, muska no redeeming qualities at all and so to me i just find that i find it a little boring i kind of want more complexity he's just i mean But it's like you said, uh, or it's like old Disney movies, like the villains, they're just evil. There's no backstory. There's no complexity. They're just bad. That's it. Is there any backstory? I think it does because um, Mosca, I think is Sheeta's cousin. Yeah, they're related somehow. Yeah, because the family is divided into like two separate sides, one mm -hmm. good and one bad. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm, I want to touch for that later when we discuss about the environment and industrialization mm -hmm. but uh, i feel like miyazaki just make it like um, a reflection of how people want to um, do the bad thing to achieve what they really desire to do in mm -hmm. shita for her it just like i don't know i don't i don't know how to explain but yeah it just like um <laughs> I cannot find a word to summarize it for this part, but yeah, you can. Maybe we can move on. It's okay. And, yeah. I mean, we can keep talking about the human desire. I don't know exactly what you wrote for that, but uh, for me, I kind of saw these three themes. Uh, some of them compete with each other. Other ones go very much along with it. So we kind of have this violent aspect to the movie in which a lot of the characters choose to respond with violence. Uh, and Miyazaki does like to touch on themes of war and conflict. And I actually think this movie can be interpreted as pro-pacifism uh, in certain contexts, because we know that this isn't a war, but we still see certain violence that his more war themed movies carry and so um like the the introduction like our first introduction to the film we get right into the plot uh which is very different i would say for most jolly movies it's not like i feel like like with kiki's delivery service we kind of see this like you know swooping in and we're world building and we're showing where she comes from and it's just music or ponyo's like that too this one no it gets right into the action so that was really striking to me i really felt that was intentional it's setting the tone that this is going to be a movie that doesn't pull punches in that way Um, 
and also the scene where uh, Shida is going to strike him on the head with the bottle and then it immediately cuts to a gun firing from the pirates. And so just kind of like this emphasis to me on the violence was something that was really striking because I just don't feel like we always see that in Ghibli films. Yeah, no, the opening is very intense. Even though recall to Princess Mononoke when yeah. they first fight uh, the big the bull. bull yeah. yeah. It's just more of the shooting scenes in a movie. And I think it's like what you say, it's um, intentional to do that. And I think it's open to show like how the villains in the movie also divide into. <laughs> always uh also divide into like two sides because for me at first watching it i thought the pirate gangs are villains mm-hmm. and muska obviously also villain but mm-hmm. going on to the movie we just know that uh shita and pazu they gradually just become friends with those villains yeah so it's not like completely villain i call it temporary villain but i don't know what you quote for yeah that no absolutely i mean we can talk about the pirate gang and dola for a second if you'd like because i think that they provide a good contrast to uh gosh i hate his name muska muska okay um <laughs> it sounds like um mickey mouse muska muska mickey mouse or he says something like that i don't know um but anyways <laughs> um so, yeah, no, the, when we were first introduced to the pirates, we're like, oh, these are the bad guys. But they're kind of bad guys in the same way that Porco Rosso's sea pirates were bad guys because they're bad, but they're very silly. Um, you don't really take them seriously, whereas Muska's very um, intimidating and cutthroat. Like, I remember a time where he just yanked uh, Shita by her braid. He, he's very violent and scary. You don't see any moment of light heartedness with him whereas the pirates they do kind of have this silliness even though we know at first that they're supposed to be the villains um i kind of wonder to what extent um dola at least so the main pirate is she we know that she's nicer than she pretends to be because we see that later um she opens up and she accepts uh pazu to come with them and then even at the very end when she's like very happy to see that they're alive both of them uh, I kind of wonder if she feels a need to maybe act like more mean and aggressive because she's a woman in a leadership position. I don't know. I was wondering what you thought of that. I think it's maybe, but for most of the reason, I just feel like she's like um, a street mom. A street mom. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I think the gang call her just mama. mama. So <laughs> I think it makes sense. She just like trying to be like very streak very like i don't know what's the word <laughs> my vocabulary <laughs> like gangster <laughs> or something yeah yeah she very just um want to scare people yeah so she can just like con- control them easier i think yeah um and speaking of her family i don't know if it was just me but i felt like her her sons or the pirates in general um really resembled the design of the american curtis and porco rosso did you notice that? Was... No, I don't. No? I just... Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Not all of them. I think it was mainly uh, this guy to me. He looked like Curtis, and he ha- I think he had a little mustache, too. Interesting. But, yeah, no, I don't know. I just kind of saw that comparison, because they both act like idiots, to be fair. Um, like the sons, <laughs> they, they act dumb. And the way they try to kind of flirt with Cheetah, which I don't even know if we need to get into the age gap, because it seemed suspicious but <laughs> yeah no for real yeah 
I did notice the way they just flirt with Shita, and I recall back to our discussion in Porco Rosso when we talk about age and love. So I I did notice that one, but I didn't notice like his appearance until you brought it's, it up. Now it's so odd. So it's the appearance for me, but also I agree, like the way they act, especially around Shita, who is um who knows maybe like thirteen or fourteen. She looks pretty young to me. Um, I'm assuming you watched it in the sub, right? Yeah. In the dub, she does sounds like a 13, 14-year-old. She could be. Uh, Pazu sounds like a grown man. I do not know why they voice casted him that way because he just sound, he does not sound like how he looks. Also, just to note, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but um, I think Sheeta's voice actress is the same as Kiki's for the dub. Um, so that was kind of cool. She sounded like Kiki for me. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe they are at the same age. So it's more interesting if it's happened they're in the same age and the same uh, voice actor just take over it so yeah i'm like trying to check i don't know if anyone's interested you you can look it up um <laughs> we got it we gotta get this ball moving so yeah um what did you have anything else like under your human desire for discussion for human desire yeah. i just i don't know but it's not that I'm covered that much because I'm writing here like I want to focus on more about their purpose mm -hmm. for why they just approach Laputa mm -hmm. and I divide into like two sections like for the wealth the money mm -hmm. and the power and yeah. obviously like the pirate gangs is more in the money side for they just want to hunt for treasures and they just avoid all of their ability to yeah. kill anybody and that's what I also put it under pacifism category because I feel like even though there's a lot of like violent scenes in the movie but they don't actually like kill somebody except yeah. for the scene um Mushka. Mushka. he's the only one that I think kills anyone yeah yeah um yeah no it's it's really striking so yeah we do see these kind of like intertwined themes of money greed and power and it's kind of like painting this society that's a little misguided and we we get this idea all along that it might be because of industrialization which i know you have a theme for that um that like our morals and our what we value in society has kind of shifted to maybe not the best things but i i feel like miyazaki does a good job at uh, portraying it as a complex issue because ultimately we do live in a society where money kind of rules everything and you need money to survive um and so i don't know if you pick picked up on this or remember this but um in the very beginning uh we have the the mines and all the miners um so i remember that they mentioned something about like that they're looking for silver and that they're having some sort of financial insecurity, like they're facing starvation. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, it's just complex. The reason I'm bringing that up is because um, we have uh, Muska, who's, you know, he wants the power, and then the military, they want the money, and they're going to accomplish it through any means, even if it's unethical. Uh, whereas the pirates, they want to accomplish it, but maybe through more reasonable means that aren't as evil intended. Um, and then we have the actual townspeople where they're starving and they're doing what they can to try to get silver. So I, I just think it's an interesting like build on this concept of money. You know, you can want money, you can desire it because you do need it for survival, but you shouldn't let it surpass uh, into greed. Uh, don't let that control you, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. And for Muska's point of view, 
I don't see any point like he really obsessed of the money, but just the power. So I think that one really interesting too is completely contrast to the other villain. Yeah, because everything he wants just like the power to dominate the world. And there's a yeah. scene he just look at his team and just took for granted for that when they were happy when they found some jewelries. Oh yeah, he just called them just uh, idiot. You don't know anything. You need to look for something like. Bigger, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes that I put for Muska. He's such an interesting guy because, considering the fact that you know he, like you said, is more involved in wanting the privilege and the power of like being the king of this city, like he really likes that idea. Um, he still references money. He's very much aware of its existence and of its, uh, I guess, temptation. Because uh, I don't know if you remember, but when he tries to pay Patsu to leave, uh, whenever they are kid- or kidnapped again <laughs> the second time. Uh, and he pays Patsu to leave. He's like, you know, she does coming with me. She doesn't want to be with you. Like, just take these coins and leave. Um, but, you know, so clearly he knows that uh, most of society is run by money. But he doesn't know that Patsu isn't like that. Patsu isn't motivated by money. He's motivated by his compassion for others and desire to clear his father's name, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Um and I think I, he even calls, I think he calls it like, oh, all I got were, were these miserable coins. I want to laugh you to her. He says something pitiful like that. Yeah, for real. That's fair. And I think it's very interesting because I really want to know more about his background. Like you mentioned earlier. Patsas or Muska? Muska. Muska. Yeah. Because I don't know why they why he only focus a lot on just the power instead of order humans desire thing mm-hmm. in this society during that time but i wonder because in the original position he's still under somebody's else control right the the general right? yeah yeah so i don't know because of that he just want to get out of that situation so that's why when he realized that he has a royal mm-hmm. blood yeah. like he's also the I would say the prince of Labuta. Yeah. So he feel like it's maybe an offense for him so that he has to do something to like become the king of the world. It, it's it's interesting because I feel if they would have given him more background and more information as to why he's motivated by power and wants power, it would have added some complexity and not made him such a flat villain. Because to me, he's just such a like cartoon Disney villain, like Maleficent or something. Like there's no redeeming qualities. We don't know if his motivations are complex at all. They just seem evil. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I could I could see what you're saying that maybe it does have to do kind of with this... Um, you know, heritage thing, like, you know, oh, how far our people have fallen, you know, we were supposed to be royalty, you know, I could totally see that. Um, But at the same time, compared to Shita, he's totally like annihilated himself from the culture. He wants the prestige, he wants the power to rule over it, but he's not knowledgeable of the culture or the heritage of this city. And so I think that's kind of one of the big issues. And also she says to him, like, um, you can't be a king without compassion or something like that. Yeah, I agree with that. I love that quote. That was cute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we can move on. So what else do you want to touch on? Well, I actually had, like, one more thing okay, for yeah, that category. So um, uh, we kind of briefly touched on it, but we didn't really describe. Like, when the army first arrives to Laputa, I just thought it was so, like, 
oh, like so comical that immediately they're just they just start ruining things immediately. Like the difference between when Shito and Pazu arrive and they're kind of like, whoa, and taking in everything and looking at the life and interacting with it and just admiring it versus when the government arrive, they just start destroying everything and looting immediately. Um, I just saw that as like a big contrast once again and kind of like um, motivations and have just the greed and the pride of humanity. Um, you know, why? I don't know. Can you just imagine? Can you imagine like finding this mysterious like floating island? You'd want to explore it, right? You know, you, you'd you be wondering at all the wildlife and the history and wondering how like Shida and Pazu wondered this, how this great civilization fell. The government shows up. What do they want? The money. Like that's all they care about immediately. I just... Yeah, I think it's very interesting because when you mentioned that, I just thinking about the concept of colonization. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's still the same when you just already plan to colonize that country or places. So you just come there and just immediately like commit what you want to do. Yeah. And for their purpose, they want to go there for the treasures. Yeah. At first, and then the sources. I think. Um, some kind of the stone. I lost the name here, but we're gonna touch the about Ethereum. That yeah, yeah, yeah. They just immediately are thinking about how can we exploit mm-hmm. this resources rather than like Pazu and Shita, who have a lot more. Well, Pazu especially because he's not even connected to Lapita by culture or heritage or anything. He just has genuine curiosity and amazement for this place, and then Shita has like that personal like heritage connection. So it's just. It's just interesting. I think it's also kind of telling us how we should interact with, like, these articles of the past in a respectful manner. Yeah. But, yeah. But we can move on to whatever topic you want. So I want to touch on maybe environment and (laughs) industrialization is a hard word. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think we touch a lot of that, like, the purpose why people come into Labuta and just, like, exploit it. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting if we touch on that right now. So for me, like I think we both know that this one reflects a lot on the environment and how human activities just like impact the environment. Yeah. So I just put it in here. Um, it's a metaphor reflects the. Personally, I think it's reflects the overexploitation of the natural resources mm-hmm. because. It's very interesting when I res- research and I found it's based on um, a real event in the past. So it was inspired by the 1984 miner strike in Wales. Oh. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know about the event, it was just uh, one of the bitter industrial disputes in Britain. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very um, interesting to brought that up because it's implied very well in the movie. So it happened in March 1st. My birthday, I just realized. Oh. <laughs> it's on March 1st, uh, 1984. The National Coal Board announced to close like 20 coal mines leading to the loss of like 20,000 jobs. Mm-hmm. So people become like unemployed yeah. during that time because um, coal is the main um, natural resources during mm-hmm. that time. So uh, people fought for it, of course, and uh, it was known for um, a year-long strike. And this event completely like, changed the political, economic, and social history of Wales forever. So mm-hmm. 
it's dry very well. Like how Laputa just become being exploited by these people. And mm-hmm. at the very end of the movie, it completely changed the thing when uh, Shita just put out the spell of destruction. Mm-hmm. But we can yeah. touch on that more later. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was that was a good metaphor. I I like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually didn't write too much about industrialization, I guess, because I kind of grouped it in with um, the greed and all of that. But I I, I entirely do see that. And uh, we do obviously get the opposite of the the bad guys priorities, which is more of the eco-friendly environmental um, lens that we really love to get from Miyazaki. Um, I feel like a character we could talk about that really embodies this is uh, the old man that lives in the caves, <laughs> Uncle Uncle Pommy? Pommy? Uncle Palm. Oh, I, I, yeah, that's think the just E Palm. on it. <laughs> Uncle Palm. Yeah, and so for those who may not remember, if you haven't seen this in a while, um, when uh, I think it's after the big battle on the train tracks, Sita and Pazu end up underground and they're just kind of like exploring. And then they run into like this old man that looks like he's been down there for years and hasn't showered. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, but he ends up giving them some really good wisdom and talks a lot about kind of like having harmony with the environment. I really liked his character. What did you think? I really like that too, because I feel like this guy taught me a lot about the life underground because I think it's a very new job for me when I watch this one in Ghibli mm-hmm. that I, I feel like Miyazaki just cover all the landscape in this world he yeah. go up to the sky under the sea and now under the ground oh absolutely yeah and I love how he talk about how the rock is are stirring oh yeah, yeah. whenever Laputa is above and also he says the rocks speak in a small voice and yeah. I like that because I think and <laughs> I was going to say, it's kind of ironic um, that we often don't just sit in silence enough, especially in nature. And it's ironic because we're sitting here talking indoors. But um, that I, I don't know. I, I kind of what he said resonated with me that maybe we should spend more time just like in nature being quiet and like listening because um, we don't really do that enough. I don't think anymore. Um, but we get some other good quotes from here. Uh, he says things like. Uh, the answers lie inside of these rocks um, and uh, how mankind had forgotten how to mine Ethereum. So I, I found that interesting. Um, and then probably my favorite quote from him was that people need to remember that we come from the earth and to the earth we must return. Yeah, I love that quote too. I have it down here, but yeah. Absolutely. And I, I believe he says, because I think the children tell him about Muska and everything that's going on and he says well that power that belongs to the earth and that if you try to use it for selfish reasons that it's not going to end well um and him saying that directly corresponds with um when Sheeta is captured uh when they're in the castle and it catches on fire that scene and she like whispered a spell and then remember he tried to grab the stone from her and it shocked him that was entirely proven the uncle palm's point right there yeah, I think it's very interesting when you brought that out. I like that. Yeah. And then I think most of what we see with the environment is probably on Laputa itself. So what did you think of, like, the design of the city and the environment there? Uh-huh. So for Laputa, um, I put it down here because I feel like it divides into, like, two sections as well. Mm-hmm. It's reflect, like, two sides for more about a natural care perspective and more about the industrial focus perspective. So for the natural perspective obviously the greenhouse 
I really love that line with a lot of like plants, flowers, and wild animals. There's one scene. I I wonder why that kind of creatures look like Pokemon. Oh, right. <laughs> the little one, and it jumps on the yeah the giant's shoulder. Actually, I have a picture right here. This guy. Oh my god. I don't know why, but it's, <laughs> it looked like some <laughs> creature in Pokemon, and it just paused me for a little bit. But... Reminds me of Eevee and Pikachu if they combined. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for real. But never mind. Back to the topic. So, um, I just want to focus like how this section is more focused on um, the environment, of <laughs> course. So at the very beginning, of not the very beginning, at the very first time, uh, Pazu and Shita just come to um, Labuta. <laughs> Their plane just land on um, the nest of kind of bird and the robot just approached them but it contracts to the robot we know at the tower mm-hmm. that robot is not very like aggressive and attack them yeah. they just want to move the plane to save the bird and i think it's very um interesting to compare to that robot absolutely because, yeah because later on sorry i touched something <laughs> okay. yeah because later on when we compare to the robots in uh, under the industrial focus perspective i feel like it's focused more on how to how it become a weapons to fight absolutely yeah so uh, besides of that in the natural care perspective i noticed um the life under the pond when shita look at it yeah it's I, kind of like a ponyo moment yeah <laughs> that's why i noticed too i feel like it is a section where Labuta people just preserve the ancient legacy or civilization or animals mm-hmm. in the past, and they just be there. I I one hundred percent agree, and I had the same impression. Like Laputa is so lush and green, and it's magical, and it's full of diverse and obviously very unique life. Um, and just like when they wake up in the field of flowers, like it's just very beautiful. Um, I actually thought it was kind of interesting the way that they are unconscious and wake up in that field because it seems almost heavenly, and they're in the sky. I don't know if there was supposed to be some sort of interpretation we can make from that, but I don't know. Maybe it's just kind of like a rebirth in their thought because they're actually like seeing Laputa now because originally for Pazu, Laputa was just to like avenge his father, you know, and rewrite um, his honor and his name. And then for Chita, I mean, she really didn't want much to do with Laputa. She just wanted the bad guys to stop chasing her. And so I feel like in this moment, um, it's, to me, I could see it kind of as a like rebirth in their perspective of like, wow, like this place isn't just, you know, this thing we've been imagining. Like it's a real place with living things and it's beautiful. And so they get very like excited and share like a special moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you were saying about the robot, I really like that too. Um, and I think that Sheeta interprets it like it's his job to protect the life on Laputa. And so it kind of shows that these these robots, these creations, they do not they're not intended to be violent unless life is threatened. And so that's what happens with the robot in the castle is that Sheeta's life is threatened and so it reacts to protect her. And so I kind of wonder if this same robot, the one, you know, with the birds and everything, if he would react violently if someone was threatening the birds and the life on Laputa. I think it's very interesting because I interpret it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very interesting, but I just throw out a quick quote because I I think I need to brought it up. So you mentioned about uh, Pazu just feeling like they're in the heaven because 
um, Laputag used to be just a dream for him. For him, and mm-hmm. I really like a quote he said when he first, um, before he come to Laputa, he said like, "Beyond those clouds, it's an island we only dreamed of." So I think it's yeah. very cool to just throw it in there. But yeah, back to the robots. Um, so for me, I interpret it in a different way. But like you said, um, it just. It might be just fight because people just threaten their honor, Shita. But for me, I feel like there are two different types of robots mm-hmm. are invented in Labuta because Labuta people just divide into two sides. So mm-hmm. for one side, they create the robots to take care of the nature they love. Mm-hmm. For the other side, people just create it. And I think those robots who must get activated, they under the crowd like they it's like military power yeah they're yeah. just being hidden under Labuta castle so I feel like it more it happened to be become a weapons that these people will use one day just to do what Muska do to dominate the world so I think that's what happened when it's also recalled me of the lesson I learned in my um, social media and society class when mm-hmm. we talk about AI yeah so we We watch a documentary. It's called "Coded Bias." It's talking mm-hmm. about AI bias based on human beings' um, mm-hmm. interpretation about things. So, human beings originally bias. Mm-hmm. So we used to be like um, categorize other people into different groups. Yeah. So that's why races come from. So um, for this one, I just feel like people will code in. Will code the algorithms and then use the data collected from their own beliefs and knowledge to just to invent the technologies that can mm-hmm. help them to accomplish their purpose. Mm. So that's what happened when the robot um, Muska activate is not the same robot with Shita. Yeah. At the beginning. So yeah, that's what I, I interpret. I I, I like that interpretation because it does make sense because Shita and Muska are both descendants, and so it kind of does show this divide that the society was having. And uh, Pazu even asked, I believe it's Pazu, when they get there, you know, I wonder what happened here. This used to be such a powerful, advanced society, and maybe the answer lies in your interpretation: is that we had maybe perhaps a civil war, just this ideological divide among the citizens. I could see that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I, I I like that, and I I think either way, either interpretation, what we're seeing here is that Laputa has been overrun by nature, and there are seemingly no humans that inhabit it anymore, and so we kind of do see that at the end of the day, if humans are going to exploit and do these evil things, that we we stand no chance. Nature will win because we will ultimately destroy ourselves. Because Muska kind of he he spells his own downfall essentially, <laughs> I would say, um, just through. All, honestly, all his actions just kind of accelerated to that last point. So, yeah, I think you're right because I've I see very clearly the concept of how nature healing and destroying are repeated, like what mm-hmm. we discussed in Princess Mononoke, like at the very ending of Princess Mononoke, the nature is destroyed by the fight, the battle, mm-hmm. and then it just automatically, it automatically, again. yeah, just. Yeah flourish again also the same thing with the um what is it called the spirit of the forest um because he is shot but and he doesn't come back but the forest still revives so there's this kind of essence that it may not be the same but it will it will be reborn in one way or another so 
yeah, I, I like that. And then I also like since we brought up Muska, we can maybe talk about a bit briefly. Um, his just disrespectful attitude towards the environment. There's a few instances. The one that I jotted down was whenever he's first entering kind of like the main core area. He's trying to get to like that key pad thing with the crystal i don't know um and he's like these filthy roots don't belong in this chamber and then he's like i'll have them burned and it right there to me was just where i was like okay this character is very one-dimensional and i kind of wish we had something a little more irredeemable like lady eboshi but you know regardless he he's (laughs) you can just tell that he is going to have a downfall just by his very like skewed and extreme ideological position there's no big room. There's no room for motivation. He had to die because there was... You, I can't see him being rehabilitated or reformed at all. Yeah, no, for real. For Lady Eboshi, she cut down the trees to support... Um, Iron Town. Yeah, yeah. Her, 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 just her town. And for Muska, he just like completely destroyed the trees because they just blocked his way. Yeah. So I feel like... One one little small thing is it's so ironic that, you know, he's sitting there cussing about, uh, well, not cussing, but, you know, cursing and being mad about the filthy roots, as he called them. But what ends up saving Pazu and Shida in the end after the spell of destruction? Those very same roots. They didn't save him, though. So I just find that very ironic. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that, too, because Labuta overall just built up like a big trees. Because you can see a lot of like big roots under it and just floating in the sky. So I think it's, yeah, it's very ironic. You know, now that we're talking, it's like jogging my brain. So I feel like, you know, this idea that it is really the foundation of that floating castle is those trees, are those trees, especially that main big one. Um, And so it's like when they arrive and they don't want to respect the culture and the heritage, which could also be described as roots, metaphorically, uh, when they don't want to... Uh, they, when they don't want to, like, appreciate the roots, then the whole thing crumbles. So they're coming there for the wrong purposes. They're not appreciating the culture, the heritage of the civilization. So they're disregarding the roots, and that's why it ultimately fails. Absolutely. I think it's right. And I think that's why the spell of destruction is being invented. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like that spell is invented just for the only purpose just to eliminate the rotten part of that building yeah just to like rebuild the new things and i think this concept also repeat at the end of the movie when um one of the pirate men in them just say like my galanons break it and then (laughs) dola just yell at him and say stop bubbling i think so (laughs) What are babbling? Yeah, babbling. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say, but okay. <laughs> we're going to be on better ship. Yeah. So I think it's something yeah. about like um, the reborn of the nature, maybe. Yeah. So yeah, we have to cut down some of the rotten part just to like build up the new part. So yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of M- Muska and his death, because I guess we could say he was part of the rotten part that had to get cut away. Um, yeah. It kind of ties back into that theme of pacifism um because in this instance uh it's very much violent he is i mean falls to death or is crushed to death it's a little ambiguous um but either way you see that just let me let me start over um shida and pazu from the beginning of the film they almost never choose violence they just choose to evade they keep running you know um 
And so why the reason I find this scene so interesting that Shida uses this spell of destruction and it uh, spells the demise of Muska is because this is probably the first time she has taken an action that is whether directly or indirectly violent. Um, and so to me, that was important because I feel like total absolute pacifism does not work. I feel like it, the movie is kind of trying to tell you here that, yeah, you should try to choose nonviolence and peace, but to a certain extent, you have to make more bold decisions. And I feel like that's what Sheeta does here. She doesn't fire a gun at him. They had a gun, but she decides to basically self-destruct um, the whole place. And, she, you know, they don't even know they're going to survive. She thinks that they're sacrificing their lives. Um, so I just I just found that really striking with this pacifist theme. Yeah, for real. I agree with that. I like that. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts on the environment in industrialization? Um, no, I don't think so. Did you um, did you write anything for pacifism or should we move on from both of those topics? For for that, I think I just jotted out some of the um, violent scenes where I feel like they should have kill somebody but they choose not to <laughs> they should have killed somebody yeah. yeah they just like shooting at uh, the enemies but yeah. cause no harm it's it's interesting because the enemies will shoot directly at them so like uh, Sheeta gets her braids shot off I think Pazu gets shot in the face I might hit his glasses so it doesn't harm him um, but hi oh. sorry he was shot in the face no, it, it like was off his goggles, I think. So he survived. We had to catch Sarah up. Um, <laughs> who was shot in the face? Yeah, I, I think he was shot in the face. That's what I remember seeing. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. We see the villains being super aggressive and super violent, um, especially the way that um, Muska handles Sheeta. He just drags her around like a doll, like throughout the movie. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I do find it interesting. We kind of interpreted the robots differently. But for me, I did kind of see it as a, they won't attack unless life is threatened. Um, but I do like your interpretation as well. But yeah, either way. And also Sheeta proves continuously that she's very much like aware and considerate of emotionally or physically harming people. Uh, she does not like she has values. She has morals. Let's just say that. So and Oh, one more thing. When Pazu was given the gun by Dola, to me, that was pretty significant because that gave him a choice to use it or not. And how does he end up using it? To break through a wall to give a Sheeta. So. Yeah, for real. He just used the gun just to open the way to go to Sheeta, not yeah. to like shoot Muska. Absolutely. So do you want to maybe talk about um, their relationship or did you have like individual things to say for their characters? Yeah, I think we can move on on that. We focus a lot on the environment, but yeah. yeah, we can talk about their relationship because I I think like it started with a very pure friendship instead of the romance side. But yeah, for Pazu, what do you think about Pazu? <laughs> um, I've heard done some things about, well, in the terms of their relationship, because we could also just talk about him separately but in terms of his relationship with Sheeta he's such a gentleman and he's also a little flirt I don't think it's intentional I don't think he's trying to flirt with her I just think he's smooth I just think he's charming um and we get a few examples like um he lets Sheeta sleep in his bed and he sleeps on the floor that was very 
uh, respectful and considerate. Um, and then he says to her, um, and he says it so seriously, like he's not trying to flirt, I don't think, but it sounds like he's flirting. He says, the way you fell from the sky, I thought you were an angel. Like, he, but I think he's saying it literally, but he sounds like such a flirt. Oh my God. <laughs> no, in the dub, it's, it says so smoothly, but in the sub, it's kind of the same, but yeah. he, he just say like, so you are human after all. I was afraid you were an angel. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I think our quotes are different because you said something earlier um, about like uh, behind that cloud is an island or something that we've only dreamed of. The quote I wrote down, and I think it's supposed to be the same quote, is behind that cloud is a floating city that no one believes exists. So he says it entirely differently. So yeah. No. yeah. Normally, I feel like our quotes match up more. I don't know what it is about this movie, but we have difference um, in interpretations for language. Mm-hmm. No, for this one, you remind me of the articles I just ran over during during the research. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say you should watch this movie in sub instead of a dub because the dub is just sucks. <laughs> but <laughs> I did complain about Pazu's voice. He sounds like a middle-aged man. Um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talking about Pazu, I feel the same as you. I feel like this man is just like a really sweet boy. A little bit goofy when he just like want to test the power of the stone to just jump off the roof. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I wrote that down too. He, yeah, I thought he's he's too trusting and uh, he really like just accepts his intuition because he does so many reckless things. Sometimes it works out. In this instance, it doesn't. So, I think it does for me when he because when he I, jumps off. Yeah, because the <laughs> he broke the bricks and his. It seemed not normal, and people might not die or break their arm or legs because of that. But he just safely. I don't. I don't know because of the, because it's the cartoon, so it worked that way, or because the stone did work at this time, just to basically hmm. save him from that goofy action. <laughs> I think that might have just been the cartoon. That's my interpretation. Just because the crystal didn't glow, and we kind of get this idea that only those that have like a certain blood like you know Sheeta is an heir or ancestor so she can use it so I don't know that's yeah. just me but I was thinking the same thing I was like how did he not die from that or break a leg so yeah for you I don't know yeah no that's fair um if you want maybe we could just talk a little bit about Pazu in depth because what was your first impression of him I think he's a nice guy because <laughs> he he's very calm too because who doesn't freak out when you see a person just falling from the sky and glowing? He almost but, dropped her. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but he's very sweet boy when he just saved her and put her there and just covered her with um, his jacket. Yeah. And even though he was busy at work, like running around for the boss commands, he always looked up to see like if yeah. she was okay. And I think it's very sweet boy at that moment when I first... I- I think that's a wonderful first impression is that he's sweet. For me, that was probably the second thing I thought of. The first thing I thought of, and this happens in like just a lot of movies in general. Where are his parents? Why is he working? He looks like he's 13. What what is going on? Where is, you know, where are his parents? That is the first thing I thought of. Um, And so I kind of got this idea like this. Is he mature? Has he had to grow up fast? Has something happened? And then we eventually find out that something has happened. It doesn't mention his mother, but we know he's an orphan. Um, Because I think he says to Sheeta, like, we orphans should stick together, don't you think? Right? So we don't know what happened to his mother, but his father 
Um, we do. It's a little ambiguous, but what what did what did you take away from that? The thing with his father. I think. Obviously, I think he passed away from that moment when he took a photo of Labuta. Maybe um on a fight again. Maybe, I don't know. But he passed on to his sons the passion of like flying in the sky and explore thing. And I think that's why Miyazaki just again imply his um aviation aviation yeah, a- yeah aviation dream in this movie and yeah that's what i think it would make sense because miyazaki it was his father that also had like this interest in planes i believe right yeah and so it makes sense that it would be a father-son dynamic in the film yeah yeah that's right i think that's fair yeah and so a quote i wrote down of him talking about this is he says being called a liar is what killed him um he says this about his dad and immediately i just wrote down daddy issues um because he he, obviously he he wants vengeance for his dad like to clear his name to a certain extent i don't know if people were ridiculing him in the village or what uh but we do get an idea and so like Pazu's motivation is interesting because at first he seems to be motivated just by this idea that he wants to clear his father's name and prove that his father was right but as the film progresses we see his priorities shift from that to just like wanting to protect Shida and you know be there with her and support her and I think that's really lovely yeah I think that's fair I like that in um, another impressions I have about Pazu, I just feel like he's, his development is very interesting for me because uh, I think we're going to touch on that more when we discuss about gender. But <laughs> there's a lot of scenes in the movie where people keep talking to him like, act like a man, be like a man. I think Dola, doesn't she say at the end, like, oh, you're finally a man when she gives him the gun, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, but... He's I really yeah. <laughs> He seems unfazed. He's doing his thing. But yeah. Oh, and what did you think about um when they're going into the hurricane, Pazu and Shida, to see Laputa, you kind of see this flash and he sees his dad. What was what was that about? I was like, is that supposed to be time travel or what? Or was that just his kind of hallucination, just like imagining his dad? I'm trying to remember what scenes you are talking so, about. Um, so um whenever I think they're with the pirates at this time, and remember they fly straight into the hurricane. To get to the castle. Oh, yeah. He sees, like, an image of his dad, um, and it disappears really quickly. So I didn't know if that was supposed to be metaphorical or if maybe there's some weird, like, magical thing going on. Maybe his dad Mm. got trapped there, Bermuda Triangle stuff. I don't know. No, I like your interpretation (laughs) about that. But um, for me, it just, like, it's just, like, a deja vu thing, maybe. Because you... Look at he look at the photo that his dad just took uh, for a really long time, and he always dream up to reach there. So when you see something very sim- similar to what you just see for a yeah. long time, you just the image just, just like pop up in your mind. So I think that's why. But I don't know. That would make so much sense. I just I get so caught up on this idea that Pazu says being called a liar is what killed him. So I have this theory, um, and it might not be right probably isn't right but um, when it says being called a liar is what killed him it kind of makes me think did Pazu's father okay see the castle come back down to the village and tell everyone I I saw it I saw it and no one believed him so maybe he felt the need to try to go again so he could take the picture and maybe the storm killed him 
I don't know. Or maybe he got trapped in the storm and it's some weird Bermuda Triangle thing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think what you said makes a lot more sense on a more character driven level because Miyazaki does kind of like to go into the psychology and the minds and emotions of the characters. So that makes sense to me. But I don't know. There could be something weird supernatural going on. I don't know. I think I like that one because it reminds me of um, the scene of the sky of Porco Rosso when they see like a lot of like dead plants yeah. also from the sky. So I think, yeah, it's, it's maybe what you say, some metaphors in it too, but yeah. Maybe it's yeah, a mix of both. I, I just got so caught up on like how did a lie kill him. It kind of made me think that maybe his father tried to go back again to obtain that photo and that led to his death somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But. Yeah possibility yeah because for me i think like the lie kill him because like children you very mm-hmm. feeling like disappointed and annoyed when your parent being gossiped by other people about something they yeah. did right so i Absolutely. think it's just like his sense to do those things but i don't know it's I, very interesting absolutely. to bring that up so for our next little topic unless you have anything more for positive do you want to talk more about Sheeta and Pazu's relationship or maybe some character analysis for just Sheeta? Um, yeah, I have one more thing because I want to yeah. talk about the necklace. I think yes. it's very interesting to brought up um, for their relationship because as you say, they have a lot of similarities. Like they both orphans. They, <laughs> they just want to come to Labuda even though they um, have different purpose to reach mm-hmm. there. But the necklace is something like draw them together. And Shita once mentioned that the necklace was only worn in the wedding. And I want to oh. romanticize this <laughs> again with, for their first met. They so they met because of the necklace. So mm-hmm. maybe gradually they will come together and become like the family, become each other homes, like what we yeah. Usually talk about like for example in uh, House Moving Castle, like two people just come together and build up their home. Uh, absolutely, um, I totally agree with that. I will say I do like that the film doesn't entirely focus on their romance just because of their ages, um, because they're younger. Uh, but I do think that they share an incredible bond, and whether that is going to perhaps progress romantically or stay platonically, like either way, we know these characters really care for each other deeply. They care about each other's safety. That's why Shida makes the decision to work with Muska so that he will let Pazu go. And that's the reason Pazu decides to team up with the pirates to go get Shida. Like they just keep making sacrifices for each other. So either way, they share a very close and like special bond. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I like how you brought up Pals Moving Castle because Sheeta goes through a similar hair transformation that Sophie does that I feel like says a lot about her character development. Yes, I think so too. So do you want to move on to that part? If you want, if you have any ideas to share about... Sorry, which part? About Sheeta's <laughs> oh. uh, transformation, maybe? Sure. Yeah, so maybe we can talk about character Sheeta a little bit at the beginning. Um, sure. She's a little more shy and reserved at first, I would say. Um, like, we don't even actually hear her talk that much uh, because for me, I realized that she was not talking a lot in the beginning of the film because by the time I got to maybe maybe the middle, maybe a little earlier, um, I started hearing her talk more and I realized that the voice actress was doing a little accent. I don't know what kind of accent it was, but I didn't notice that before, which kind of just showed me that she was not talking a lot before. I think Pazu is more of the the one that talks more uh, in the relationship. So, but anyways, we we do see that she's very brave. Like when she uh, 
in the beginning is on the ledge of the ship right before she fell. Um, but I, I think her backstory is very interesting. Uh, you know, her mom and dad died. She was just kind of living secluded in this village. So we can imagine that she doesn't have many friends or encounters with making friends, which is what makes her relationship with Pazu even more special. But uh, that the men just kind of showed up and kidnapped her over something that she just thought was a family amulet, you know? Um, so I to me, I feel like I see a lot in Sheeta of this theme of heritage and culture and that especially with younger generations, that sometimes you can become disconnected from your background and your ancestral customs. Um, and so, like, the way that her grandmother had taught her the spell rather than her mother kind of showed me that, like, you know, as each generation is going, they're getting further and further away from their culture of Laput- Laputin culture, or whatever yeah. you'd like to call it. So, I don't know. What, what did you think? <laughs> yeah, I think it's very interesting when you tied Sheeta's personality with culture because i don't see it here i just i don't know i just saw him uh saw her like um a very independent and strong girl woman mm-hmm. maybe a younger version of dola <laughs> which she also mentioned about that a couple of times like she tell just looked exactly like her when she was young so i think it's very interesting and like like you just say like we can see the bravery side of Sheeta, especially when she was with Pazu on the top of the ship when they have to go for the enemy ship so Dola just told Sheeta to get out because she is a girl and yeah, yeah but she just responded like so are you besides I'm a mountain girl with sharp eyes so you want to know what the dub says <laughs> what for that say? but you're a female captain I grew up in the mountainside I can do this so it's yeah. funny the difference but yeah same idea do you want to talk about gender yeah we can touch on that if you yeah i don't know it just for me i focus more on the feminism of shita mm-hmm. but i just want to say like it's very interesting when you tie shita with uh the culture side so yeah i just saw it as a juncta it, it's interesting because we see both because it's the you know gender culture and then her compared to Muska, who I could say would be her character foil, you see how they're so different. He's disconnect. He's even more disconnected from the culture. He's indifferent. She at least has an interest in preserving it and, you know, being appropriate. You know, she's kind of more about woman power. He just treats her like a little girl, like she doesn't know anything and pulls her around. She is compassionate and caring. He's heartless. So I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, do you want to talk about gender then? Yeah. Because... I only have a few things, but I feel like this movie similar to uh, Porco Rosso when it's draw out a lot of like similarities. No, it's not similarity um, about some stereotypes of gender. Yeah. So it's like the masculine and feminine element just portray very clearly. Maybe talking about a job like minors, whose girl is a minors. I was like, it's, it's, it's to me like minors are masculine jobs and it, because it requires a lot of strength. And you mm-hmm. also say like, see like um, a lot of mechanical jobs, like what Pazu do in the ship. Mm-hmm. It just also related to the masculine aspect. And for the women, like always we see in the Ghibli movie, they belong to the kitchen. They just cooking. Yeah. And... Yeah, I think it's not something very new, but it just brought up again, like how yeah. I talk about the masculine and the feminine job, like the pirate Porco Rosso, and then some kind of um, 
artist side are usually associated with females. So yeah, yeah, I one hundred percent agree. Like when the pirates first realize that Sheeta is going to be enjoying them, they have two different reactions or three different. I would say number one, they're excited because they think she's cute, so they're sexualizing her. Uh, number two, they expect her to cook. Number three, they expect her to claim. It's like, is that all you see her as? Um, and then at the end, I think they, I might be wrong, don't they kind of like apologize for the way they treated her or something? Um, so at least they do show like remorse, but we do know that despite the fact that their mother is a representation of a very strong independent woman, they're very disrespectful to Sheeta initially um, and sexist, frankly. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Sorry, I... Need to do something. You're okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, Miyazaki just did, like, as always, he draw up like the comparison between um, the female and the male characters mm-hmm. for us, the audience, to draw a different interpretation about this like social issue. I would say. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very interesting for what you just say too. Yeah, yeah and I, I like that Miyazaki handle I feel like he handles like this historical context and these issues very well. Um, which this movie it's kind of giving like a 19th century vibe. Um, I mean clearly they got child labor going on uh, with uh, Pazu working in the mine because I'm I'm assuming he's pretty young just the way he looks compared to other characters. Mm-hmm. But uh, regardless he handles like the I think he handles it pretty well because he shows that yeah these stereotypes do exist and people do discriminate but I'm going to show you how these characters can break those stereotypes. And I think Sheeta absolutely does. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, um, talking about gender, I also think of something like what I touched on a little bit about the difference between the men and the boy. Because in this one, it's not only focused on feminism, like how people view a woman and her duties, but also how the society view a man too. Like the, mm-hmm. the pressure the society just have on the man or more basically a boy. Like, yeah, like I just say um, the man was, for me, I think like the concept of what being a man, maybe you know what you want to do and what you want to fight for. So I don't know if it's right. We need a man here to <laughs> confirm, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I agree. I think we see a lot of, uh, I I don't know about a lot. I think we see some toxic masculinity in here. The main scene I'm thinking of is the one (laughs) where the pirate and the, what was he? It was the boss, boss, I guess. I think his name is Duffy. I don't know. Um, But they're literally like, (laughs) um, so basically, Sheeta and Pazu are running away from the pirates. They go into the village. They go to the boss's house, Duffy and his wife. uh, I wrote down her name. Let me see. Her name is Okami. I don't know. Hopefully I wrote that down correctly. Um, Okami. But regardless, um, they Okami's like, you know, get inside, get inside, guys. And so the boss is like going to handle it. And so you think this big fight is about to happen. No, they start flexing muscles. It becomes a muscle flexing competition. And to me, I just thought, I, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. And I think somebody says, make your shirt explode. It's, it's just over the top. No, it's very funny on that scenes. And again... It's show um, a little bit detail about the feminism in this side when the woman, like, uh, what's, her, what's her name again? Okami. Okami. Just talk to her husband that I'm not going to mend your shirt. Yeah, because she thinks they're being ridiculous, which they are. And so it kind of starts off with them just having, like, this 
pissing match, for lack of a better word, where they're flexing, and then it develops into violence. So I just thought this kind of showed this sub-theme of not just gender, but also violence, like we were talking about earlier, that feelings of toxic masculinity can facilitate violence, and that is what happens here, is that it it turns into an all-out brawl between mm-hmm. both parties. Yeah, and it's similar to Pocoroso again. Yes, like Curtis um, and Porco when they're just boxing yeah, in the water. Yeah, boxing fight. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just, I, I, f- okay, so women will often resolve things through a discussion. Is it always a civil discussion? No, but these types of portrayals of men that we see in this, and I'm not saying all men, just the, the portrayals of these negative stereotypes of men um, in toxic masculinity, they often resort to violence t- over words to deal with things. And so we kind of see that there. Yeah, true. Yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> I think it's right what, for what you just said, because Pazu, who was a boy during that time, also tried to copy what the men do. He wanted to join the fight. But yeah, he tried to buff up his chest. Yeah. And she's like, not you. Get inside, Okami. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But yeah. I, I like it because it kind of shows that there is this maybe societal expectation for Pazu to be brave and fight to protect his woman. But as the movie goes on, we see that that's not the kind of protection that she'd need. She just needs someone to be there with her, you know, and like help her go through this because this is surely very traumatic for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Even when he gets the gun and Dola's like, oh, you're a man now. Well, he doesn't end up using it for the purpose she thinks that he will use it for. So he's kind of breaking down, I think, gender roles for men as well. You know, he doesn't have to respond with anger. He doesn't have to be violent to resolve things. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of Pazu. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So do you have any other thing related to gender, maybe, to talk about this? I think I said most of what I had written down. What about you? I look back my note. Oh, <laughs> I think there's one thing I want to touch on. <laughs> the reason I want to explain why the reason I feel like um, Dola is just like a strict mother because the way he, she just treated the boy just the same as how she treated a girl because the kitchen, again, is not belong to man. And in the ship, it's just them. So all of the housework, the cooking stuff, they did it all. So yeah. I just recall the scene when uh, Shita agreed to come with them. They were so happy because they don't have to do it anymore. So, yeah. yeah. They, I, but also it does show the sexism that they just expected that she would fulfill that role. Mm-hmm. Although we do see also that there's that element in which they're all kind of being weird. And I, I you know, I don't want to say sexualizing her because they're not necessarily making advances, but they are still being inappropriate because they all end up being in the kitchen to help her. They're not there for that reason. They're there because they want to be close to her. Um, and it's kind of funny because the brothers start, like, getting mad. <laughs> but he's like, wait, what are you doing in here? And then he looks around and they're all in there <laughs> helping her cook. No, that's very funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, I don't have any other thing to talk about gender. But I have one last topic to mm-hmm. touch on if you want to talk about that. Yeah. So I have a... Something to talk about home, which I s- touch most of that when we dis- discuss about Pazu and Shita relationship. But for me, home for Shita is um, a place for us to return and avoid a storm, right? It's for Shita's family side. And I say that because uh, of 
maybe the plume, the the magic that um, her grandma just taught her when she was young. It's just an old magic spell for troubles. It's, it say like, help me rekindle the lights. And this blue magic light just helps Sita get back to Laputa. And yeah. it's remind me of the blue light from House Moving yes, Castle. It's ring. from the ring. Yeah, it just also guide him back to his home, which is Sophie. So sweet. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's very interesting. Yeah. And Sophie's guided back to Howl and guided back to him in his childhood even. So, yeah. yeah. So it's a very strong concept of home in here that I see. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, and to me, that idea of home connects a lot with the culture that I was talking about that I feel like Sheeta does embody to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and um, the reason I brought that up is also mm-hmm. another thing I found is very interesting because it's opposite. So home is a place you return to avoid storm, but storm can also happen from the house. For, ex- yeah. for example, is um, the Odyssey Muska side. Yeah. And Laputa is literally in the middle of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Like, most of them, I just... I mentioned a lot. Just They just want to dominate everything by their power. And, yeah. Uh, Muska just represents the government to look for Laputa. But he also secretly planned to fulfill his own sake. And that's what his family maybe do when they yeah. invent some robots and hidden somewhere, t- the fighting robots. And yeah, I think this one is very interesting when it's contracts it order because uh, it's explain why the grandma taught Shita the bad incantations. Mm-hmm. So like what I just said, um, maybe I can read a quote. So she said like the spells of destruction, the spells of power is what she taught me. Uh, she said, I must know the bad words too, but I never used them. When I was taught, I couldn't sleep for fear. And it all had to do with the stone. It was hidden in the fireplace, except for at the weddings, never used. Mother and grandmother's grandmother, everyone feared of it. I wish it never happened. like, And it never exists. So that's something I just feel like Shita feared that bad things come from his, her old family mm-hmm. but in fact you have to learn like both good and bad sides to prevent that happen in the future maybe yeah. so it's also tied back to the concept when I'm talking about you should like cut off the rotten sides like the rotten part of um, the big things just to like make it right again mm-hmm. so yeah hmm. it's just that yeah absolutely <laughs> Did you have any other comments? I don't think so. If you want to touch on the word building or we can just cover up with how how would you grade it? Yeah. So for world building, I mean, we do have a lot here. But for me, I just didn't write as much down. And I think it's because it's just so action packed that I was observing the world building, but not as much as I would in other films. So for me, something that I did write down that it's not necessarily world building but it it, I put it under there because I didn't know where else to put it um we continuously see this imagery of Ghibli food and how whenever characters come together to enjoy a meal that usually that's a place where they're able to interact and really develop their relationship and uh, Miyazaki even talks about how he thinks that's very crucial and I would say in the anime industry in general like food and like sharing food with someone it's usually very important for character development. And so we see that here. 
um, when they're underground with Uncle Pom, the toast with an egg. Honestly, why did they make an egg on toast look so good? <laughs> they made it look like a gourmet meal. Um, but while they're under there, this is when they open up to each other. And Sheeta talks about her background and her um, the everything that we just talked about right now. Uh, this is when that conversation takes place. So I, I just wanted to touch on that because I thought the imagery in this just honestly, the food looked so good. <laughs> but yeah. No, I love that. Just the meal is where the story began and you get to know each other. So I think that's fair to brought yeah. it up. And uh, for the word building, I also don't have that much. I think I touch a lot about them while we discussing. So the only thing I just noticed, like as always, Miyazaki movie just makes his audience connect to many other reference, not necessary to be something very specific but i did watch some cuts from youtube where there's a group of guys just talking about how they feel is very related to um a character from minecraft i don't play minecraft that. yeah <laughs> they say like uh, the no robot <laughs> <laughs> the robot it's just similar to um the creature in minecraft it's called iron golem i don't know what oh yeah (laughs) it's because actually that is funny because that is a good comparison if it okay my interpretation right that the the robots won't fight unless they're provoked that's literally what an iron golem have you played minecraft i don't okay so So sorry i didn't didn't want to over explain so like iron golems they do look like that and they're the same way they protect the villagers you know like how minecraft says little villagers Mm -hmm. the iron golems protect the villagers so if you attack a villager or if you attack the iron golem they become aggressive, but otherwise they're peaceful. So it is kind of uh, like yeah, how we see the robot. That's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. She just plays her own Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> she no, she <laughs> she had seen a video where someone else does, and I was explaining it because she hasn't played Minecraft. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to watch Castle in the Sky, guys, maybe you should brush up on your Minecraft lore. I don't know. Apparently, it's related. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They just say something about that very interesting, and I just want to brought it up. So yeah. <laughs> So, other than that, do you have any closing thoughts? And then we can do our little ratings. Yes. I love the music. (gasps) Yeah. I love it so much. And it was one of my favorite soundtracks, but I didn't remember until I rewatched this movie to, like, where it come from. Mm -hmm. So, it's similar to House Moving Castle. It always gives me a strong feeling when I listen to the song. Mm -hmm. And I use it for study, too. (laughs) But, yeah. The first half of the soundtrack is seem to me very dreamy and inspiring like how you just begin a new adventure to Laputa yeah. and then it fit very well to the plot of the movie when they use the spell of destruction to destroy everything mm-hmm. so now everything just be in the memory and the music mm-hmm. just like performs very well so I, I really enjoy yeah. the mu- music yeah yeah that's my final thought so All right so <laughs> what what would you give the movie out of a five I give it a four out of five. Mm-hmm. I, I think like the plot is very interesting for me. I love the music. I love the image in the movie. And I love the plot too. But for me, like what you say, for the first time I watch it, <laughs> I don't find it very interesting. But for now, maybe because I'm interested in AI mm-hmm. and some technology. So I found it's very interesting. But for me, this movie have some aspect of a cartoon where you just set on the adventure and fight for some treasure hunt and some of like stuff like Disney where like, you just brought yeah. up but yeah it's just four out of five 
Oh, yeah. There's actually another movie by... Is this Disney? I don't know. Um, The Goonies. I don't know if you've seen that. Mm-hmm. No? Okay, well, if anyone listening has seen that, Dola is the same... Dola and her sons are the same vibes as the villain in The Goonies. They're uh, also, like, going after a group of kids because they want to get treasure. Um, they, but they're, they're both, like, funny. Uh, I would say Dola and her family are a lot... They have better morals than the villains in Goonies does but regardless um I would give it I'm gonna give it a 3.5 out of 5 because for me it's just it, it was good it just wasn't as memorable or impactful um compared to the other films so far um I would say I enjoyed it more than My Neighbor Totoro which I actually think I rated higher so I, I don't know maybe I'll have to reevaluate my <laughs> rankings at some point but um I liked it um yeah. just not enough that's the other ones. <laughs> no, I have a question for you. Yeah. So do you think maybe because of the dub you watch? Because for me, <laughs> I feel I feel it's yeah. very interesting because for Pocoroso, everybody just enjoys so much. But I'm not because I watch in a dub, which is very <gasps> unusual. I mean, so... that's fair, but I've been watching everything in the dub and I really liked Porco Rosso and I watched in the dub. I think mate, I think it's mainly just because the villains aren't complex and I think that's boring and the thing in Porco Rosso is that the American Curtis which I guess could be the villain he's not complex either but to me Porco Rosso is more about the psychology of the main character he is his own villain and he's very complex and it's interesting like you know what I'm saying I feel like he is his own villain and this one I just feel like I'm missing a little more like in-depth like psychological uh discussion yeah so, I mean, we have very good themes here. They're very interesting. But I wanted maybe... This story is not as character-driven as other Ghibli films, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. There's a lot of question about the character's backgrounds. So yeah, and the been... villains just fell flat for me. And Yeah. yeah. But maybe I'll rewatch it in the sub and maybe I'll change my mind. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I want to rewatch Pocoroso too because I feel like... I should have more things to say in that movie, but yeah, maybe because of the dub. I don't know. But, but hey, it's okay. And so those listening in, our next film will be The Wind Rises. And that will conclude our discussion of Miyazaki Ghibli-specific works. So after that, we're going to talk about some Miyazaki works that are not associated with Ghibli. So this would include Nausicaa of the Wind and Valley, for example. Um, and I, I can't remember the name of the other one. Do you remember? It's like... Cholestro. Um, I don't. You guys will find out later. Um, <laughs> unless you look it up. Um, but yeah, so we're very excited to keep creating and watching more and exploring just Miyazaki and Ghibli, Studio Ghibli's wonderful works. So Yeah. Well, thank you so much for watching. Oh, not watching. Yeah, watching or, and listening. listening. Yeah. yeah, watching and listening for today's episode. And we will see you next time. Take care. Bye.